This is Big Dreams, Bold Moves, the podcast inspiring families like yours to discover endless possibilities for living abroad, because life is too short to settle. I'm Malia, and I will be your host as we travel around the world speaking with experienced expats and experts. We're going to learn how to get visas, make money, and find jobs abroad. We'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what everyday life with kids is really like in different countries and get you the answers you need to go from daydreaming to international move-making. Now, let's get on our way. Hola! Vamos a España! If you listen to my first episode, I talked about how Germany is like my good-on-paper partner, but there isn't much chemistry otherwise. On the other hand, Spain is like my first true love. I was fortunate enough to study abroad there in 2003, and it's had my heart ever since. Today, we're going to hear from Jackie Baxa, an American mother, writer, and professional yoga teacher who has been living in Sevilla, Spain, and feels the same way I do about it. About four years ago, she and her husband decided to press go on their long-desired dream to spend some time living in a foreign country with their children. She found the research to be exhausting and the practical answers to much of the information she was looking for difficult to find. That inspired her to create FamilyMoveAbroad.com. Today, Jackie's going to give us an honest assessment of what it has been like resettling with two school-age boys in Sevilla and share what she might have done differently now that she has lived and learned from this experience. Welcome, Jackie, to Big Dreams, Bold Moves. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. You moved from the U.S. to Spain with your husband and your two boys, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. And where were you living in the U.S. before? Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Oh, that's not so bad. No, it's not. <laughs> I probably shouldn't complain about it as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> so what was life like in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Jackson Hole, Wyoming is an incredibly unique and special place on earth. Um, it was a bit spontaneous of a move there as well. Um, it was a phenomenal place to raise two boys. My older son was just shy of his third birthday when we ended up there. The younger one was born there and their, their early childhood, um, until we left when they were eight and 12 or eight and 13, I guess, was just filled with life in the outdoors on Alpine lakes and in the mountains and going skiing in the wintertime and exploring the just vast untouched wilderness of the forests and open spaces there in the very short but filled with activity summertime. It was it was incredible. So that sounds like uh, a very pure American upbringing. Yeah. I do like really it did. It had I, I think Jackson Hole still today offers a lot of what was ideal um, and maybe harder and harder to come by in America. You know, our kids, you know, we live right. in a, a subdivision with cul-de-sacs and the kids could play on the street and, you know, yeah, I'm sure police officers would always say you should be cautious, but we live very much in that fifties way of, you know, kids outside and playing with a lot of freedom, kick a ball, you know, on the street, climb trees, run around and chase each other. 
Uh, and, you know, eventually as it's getting dark, it's like, all right, come on home. And everybody would, would file on home. And um, the people who choose to live in Jackson nowadays are really there for the sports, for the movement, for the adventure. And so there's a little less of that, you know, fear of just, you know, what's going to happen if you fall out of a tree or, you know, oh, you shouldn't let your child do that. And and we find a lot less of that there. And that was especially important to us. Um, so maybe yeah. our listeners that are not from the U.S. out in the world that are on the more adventurous side looking for that experience, Correct. take a note, Jackson Hole. Why Jackson Hole. Yes, what? it is a great place for adventure sports. It's cold so, and it snows a lot too. Then, <laughs> How did the decision to move to Spain come about from that life? Yeah, so that was, um, my husband and I had always, before I think actually when I was pregnant with our older son, had talked about living abroad, living in a foreign country for a year. And probably that conversation had grown from the fact that my husband had actually been living abroad in the years before we had met him. And in fact, he lived in four different countries um, over a decade or so between, uh, you know, university semester abroad um, till later, you know, in his early professional life before we had met. So he'd clearly had an affinity for it. I had never lived abroad, but I'd always traveled a lot, loved it. Um, I had gotten to work for a European company, Lego, as a matter of fact, for a while. And that was really special. They're a Danish company and they also had uh, offices in the UK. And my business trips over there in those months before I met my husband had kind of awakened this, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to live in a foreign country that, you know, when you're there for business, as opposed to traveling, you're kind of seeing a more of a day-to-day lifestyle as opposed to a tourist oriented lifestyle. And then, you know, we met and started having kids and was like, let's do this one day. But it didn't actually come about until they were older. Life was full and very rich. Um, and eventually like, whoa, earlier since 12, we better figure this out <laughs> and, and get going. So, so what yeah. were the first steps you took to get going? Uh, well, actually, when we initially decided to press go on those plans, it was on our first European vacation as a family with them. Okay. The boys were, Kaden had just turned eight, Gavin was 12. And we had, had a five-week trip set up in France and Spain. And that's, we were there in Barcelona and like, okay, let's do this. And so I immediately just started Googling things like, you know, can foreign kids go to school in Spain? At the time we were still potentially open to other places, but Spain was always a top contender because of the Spanish. And was there anything else about Spain that attracted you to Spain? Uh I love it. Um we were on that trip was my second trip and my husband's first to Spain. And I had come as my high school graduation present back in 1988. And I had felt very much an affinity for the country at the time. So Spain has a way of just dancing into your soul. Couldn't state it better myself. Uh, I love, I love the lifestyle. I love the people. I love the food. I love the scenery. I love living amongst the history. Um, and all of that stuff just really grabs you. It's a phenomenal quality of life. It's a 
incredibly diverse nation. So you can go from one region to the other, you know, from Barcelona to Sevilla to San Sebastián, and you're going to have completely different experiences. And it just constantly keeps me jazzed. Um, so in that sense, Spain was always the top contender. And I had studied Spanish in, you know, high school and had always been very good at it, but had never taken it to a farther level. And that was sort of a thing in my heart that I felt like, wow, I really want to be bilingual in at least one other language before before I can't. Um, my younger son was in a Spanish-English dual immersion program back in Jackson Hole. Um, so though my husband and I had also studied French and therefore did take a, a you know, consider France as well, um, we just kind of kept turning our sights back to Spain. And we knew also, Malia, that we wanted to be in Europe as opposed to Central or South America. Okay. No offense to that part of the world, but I, I wanted the greater diversity, you know, of the the many European cultures. And, and that's why we really stuck with that and never took a serious look anywhere south of the American border. And how and at what stage did you start narrowing in on... Sevilla or Seville, how, I don't know how you want to pronounce it. I I like to say Sevilla. I say Sevilla too, but some people look at me like, what are you talking about? So It it is true. It is true. I will say it that way to Americans and they don't always know what I'm talking about. Potato, potato, Sevilla. Exactly. Seville. The Spanish way is Sevilla. How did we ultimately choose Sevilla? It was a really arduous process. Um, So what I found, also to get back to your original question, when I started digging in is that information was really hard to come by. Okay. So I consider myself a really strong researcher. I have a technology background, you know, professionally from before I had kids and yet anything I felt I put into a search engine was not returning me with the right. answers I really needed. How do you get a visa? What kind of visa is it? Uh, can foreign kids go to school there? Can we go to public school? Can we only go to private school? How do you find public schools? Because as I came to discover, they don't really have websites for them. Maybe mm. that's true in the U.S. as well. I, I, I know our local school district does, but this, the Spanish ones, it's going to be more hit or miss. At least it, it was then. So this would have been fall of 2015 that we were really researching things. And I just felt like everywhere I turned, I was hitting a dead end. And in fact, it was only the knowledge of three other families also from Jackson who had gone over to live in Spain for a year that I knew it was possible (laughs) one way or another. Eventually, we initially had our sights more set on Barcelona and up in that region or even on the North Coast. But um, thinking initially that we're only coming over for one year and knowing the predominance of Catalan amongst the the locals there, I was a little nervous about that inhibiting the the access to acquiring Spanish. Making the language even more complicated to learn. Right, right. And, you know, if we had gone to a public school in uh, anywhere in Catalonia, they actually teach in Catalan. So um, there was just going to be some convoluted or you know just like some mixing of uh, goals there that as much as I love that region geographically and culturally we started looking thinking well what areas of Spain really only speak Spanish Um, so it kind of became a process of elimination like okay well Madrid's a great city but that's maybe too big of a city for us then looking more south and eventually I was put in contact with one of those other families from Jackson Hole who had come over here. And I was like, how did 
how did you choose Sevilla? They, they were in Sevilla. How did you find a school? And started peppering him with questions. And fortunately, you know, despite being a relatively new acquaintance, um, he was super helpful and uh, referred us to the school where he had chosen his kids for his kids. And that was, you know, I contacted the school. It's in a region of Spain that only speaks Spanish. It was a bilingual education which isn't necessarily the case at most of the international schools. So was this, is this a public school that you ended up finding that was bilingual? It's a private school. No, this is a private IB, International Baccalaureate, um, pre-K through 12. It caters largely to the local Spanish population. And if your listeners don't really know Seville, Sevilla that well, you know, it's not necessarily a, a huge cosmopolitan city that, that you're going to okay. find even elsewhere in Spain. Would you say um, then that the rates are a little bit more affordable? Because I know definitely. in city where there are cities like where we're at in our area, there are a lot of international companies and they are paying for the international education, which drives right. the rates up. So if that's yeah. more of a local school, would you say it, it feels more it, reasonable? Definitely. Um, obviously for me comparing it, certainly to anything that I've ever looked at in the States and whenever I've considered or just been curious about private schools there, it's about a third of the price, okay. uh, if not significantly cheaper. And even yes, compared to the ones that I had looked at in Barcelona before we eliminated that area for ourselves, I would say maybe not half the, the tuition of what I was finding up there, but at least a third less okay. and with a little bit more flexibility as far as some of those matriculation fees. We'll talk about visas too, but uh-huh. would your kids have been eligible for public schools? Uh, yes. If from you are Spain? living in Spain, you legally have to go to school. And okay. in fact, supposedly homeschooling is illegal. Okay. It's the same well, in Germany. Okay. Um, from what I've heard. heard. Yeah. I, I think there might be some autonomous region variation among that, but generally speaking, the law of the land is that is it's legal. So yes, we could have easily moved to where we wanted to move, gotten a flat. You go through this procedure here where you register that you're living on a particular address and then you take that and they say, well, this is the public school or schools that are available for that address. Okay. And you go there and you register. And yes, we totally could have done that. Okay. Good to know. So if one just goes and finds their place, they should know that they likely can just get into that local public school without a problem. Without a problem, except for maybe a lot of bureaucracy in a foreign language. Uh, Yeah, there's definitely a registration process, but your kid will go to school. And if that particular public school for your flat doesn't happen to have space, they'll tell you the next one nearest to you where you can go. And how was it finding a place? Hard. Um, In fact, somewhat maybe disastrous (laughs) thinking about it. we definitely, I was thinking we would find one uh, under three weeks. Uh, it didn't work out. We ended up being probably in tourist flats for well over a month, including having to move between tourist flats because then we started running into the high season here and having to go from one to another. And then finally, we did find a place and we had a pretty disastrous move-in issue, a lot of issues with our landlord, and it was all really exacerbated by the fact that at the time we still knew no one. So we came to Sevilla knowing no one, certainly not anyone Spanish, and though we didn't meet other parents pretty quickly once we, once the kids started school, you know, we were really on our own as far as, uh, hey, what are our legal rights here, you know, kind of, or 
is this normal, you know, culturally. Now, did you find the apartment through a website or was there, or can you get an agent that will help act on your behalf? Yes and no. Um, so yes, there is, there are several websites in Spain. One of them, one of the bigger ones, at least serving this area, and I think throughout Spain, is called Idealista. I can um, make a note of that. Yeah, so I can send that to you. And once we, it helps when you kind of know what the different neighborhoods are called, because that's sort of how you're searching by. And I had done a reconnaissance trip to kind of familiarize myself with that. And then you can, it's got just a good interface and you put in your parameters. I want three bedrooms. I don't, you know, furnished, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go and look and some are listed by owners. Some have agent representatives. If you one is listed with an agent, you're going to pay the agent a commission. So there's definitely some tricks and nuances to trying to navigate around that. I, I think our struggles were exacerbated by the fact that I was really looking for a three bedroom to try and accommodate each of my sons having their own room. And that was hard to come by in a city in Sevilla where apartments are small. And, um, okay. you know, so I would advise listeners, <laughs> your, your listeners to, be flexible and really start to understand and get as much information they can on any local market and what the norm is, regardless of where they're moving. In what I discovered about Sevilla is that furnished two-bedroom apartments are actually pretty plentiful. They might still be okay. small, but there you can get fully furnished, as in down to the last knife and fork apartments here. Maybe not easily, but more plentifully than a furnished three-bedroom and even... Okay any three bedroom is going to be more challenging than a two bedroom. And that was just not something I understood. So you did not bring your things with you. No, we came with a carry on suitcase each and then one larger suitcase with just kind of some winter stuff. Yeah. I'm going home with a lot more. I can tell you that because the shopping in Sevilla is good. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yes. How did it feel to leave your American life and walk away with your family and just a few carry-ons in one suitcase. Exciting. We've always traveled a lot. And my husband in particular has really kind of schooled me in the beauty of traveling light. Even having that one extra bag was a bit of a burden initially until we got settled in. Um, You know, initially, this was a one-year adventure, so everything was still stored away in our house, and and that was that. So there wasn't this whole like it might have felt different if we were had sold everything off. Okay, so you didn't sell everything; you stored it. No, we store. We have attic space in our house, and we stored it up there, and then we leased our house out, and everything was set up to fully return one year later. But then we came. And we loved. (laughs) And again, because of the many hardships we had in settling in, taking longer to find an apartment, we had a just, in my opinion, an unfair amount of things that just did not work out and go right. That it wasn't until well into October where it was like, wow, I felt like we're living here and a bit more settled in as opposed to just moving here, relocating here. We didn't even get our residency cards till December. So the thought of leaving at the end of that first year, even by, you know, before Christmas break came around, felt painful. And so relatively early on, we were already telling ourselves, oh, we'll probably stay a second year. The kids will get more out of it. We're certainly loving it. At what time of year did you move there? 
uh, we got here in August. Okay. So and their school year have, starts? Like it was that year. It was like maybe September 10th or September 12th. Okay. So we had some time to travel. The kids did a few foreign language camps, Spanish immersion camps. Um, and, and we just explored a bit around Spain before coming down to Seville. And then, so if we went back again before, when you're still in the initial stages of planning this, um, what were your plans in terms of income and work and how did that affect the type of visa you were able to get? Yes. Well, let me preface that with my understanding is those rules have changed a bit with respect to the kind of visa that we got compared to when we got ours in, in the spring of 2016. Um, we're here on what's called the Spanish non-lucrative visa. Most of the expats in our similar situation, whether they were coming abroad for one year or the intention of staying longer are also here on that visa. And it's basically for people who have the financial means to live in Spain without working in Spain. In other words, you're not taking a Spanish person's job. They're very protective of their employment for their citizens as they should be. My husband still owned and continued to operate a freelance um, consulting business out of Wyoming doing internet marketing. That and then we have some rental real estate income and that and then we had the savings and all of that we were able to show that we could easily afford to live here, um, be putting money into the economy and not being a burden on the state and not taking anyone's job. Lately, I am now, but especially because I do have a bit of a service helping other people work through the logistics of getting that non-lucrative visa, there is some increasing reports that doing any professional activities would prohibit you from being able to obtain that visa. And, um, I'm kind of curious to see how that shakes out in the long term. Okay. So things are shifting around a little bit. It, it would seem. And, and I, I can't speak too much more to it because a lot of this information has literally just come to my attention last week when two different people that I knew who were, I was helping with some other non-visa related issues relative to their move suddenly had a fiasco at the consulate. I have also heard that there are a lot of digital nomads basing themselves in Spain because there have been these visa options for people working online or that have income coming in from outside. Spain's probably recognizing that that number has been increasing of people coming in and we'll see with what they're doing with that. Yeah, it's hard to know whether there's some suspicion that those people are settling in and slowly encroaching, you know, into the local economy. I have no idea. I certainly, that's out of my field of expertise. We are not visa experts. We are not visa experts. Talking about what we know. Okay. (laughs) So uh, what we've heard. Um, So initially it was a one-year visa, but it it does have the, or it had for you the option of extending. Yes. So the non-lucrative still, if you do get it, your first one is good for one year then you renew and all the renewal, all all the initial application piece must take place in the States. Or wherever your local consulate is. Is that right? Or whatever country you're legally residing in. If you, if you're an American citizen living or whatever country you're coming from relative to that country where you legally are residing at the time you apply. When you're here, then there's an immigration piece that happens when you get here and that results in you having an official residency card. Um, so that's your proof that you are here legally beyond, you know, foreign American, for example, the three month 
stay. And then at the end of one year, you have the right to renew. And assuming you get the renewal, it's good for two years. And that's where I'm at now. And as you know, I'm unfortunately going to be leaving Spain in a couple months. But if I weren't, I would be renewing this summer. Um, And it would be good for another two years. So you are leaving. Do you think you will return? That is our hope and dream. Um, I'm really having a jaw on my practice as a yoga yoga person, yoga professional to stay present and stay in the moment and just kind of be receptive to whatever's showing up. We are going back because my older son, ultimately the transition for a permanent stay proved too hard for him. Um, For him to finish out high school, he's going to finish it out in the US. Would you recommend an age range that you think that a move like that would be better for after having done this experience? Yes. Um, but with the caveat that I would still recommend anyone to do it regardless. I think certainly the younger the child, the easier. Anything, my experience having one teenager and another who's like a preteen, it seems like everything gets harder. Yes, they're more independent and, you know, they can cut their own meat and don't need babysitters, but uh, getting their buy-in. Debate, they can debate. You know, they can debate and, and for teenagers, they're, I mean, obviously every person's different. Um, My, I have a pretty extroverted to both children, but definitely the older one. And to relocate him to a small medieval city contrasted from the mountain lifestyle, sports lifestyle that he came from. He came here with almost no Spanish, put him in a school where his peers at age 13 actually spoke English pretty well when he arrived. But when you get big groups of teens, even if they speak English well, hanging out together, they're going to all start speaking Spanish. And he needed to be able to engage socially and emotionally at a time. And that's just a critical life stage that, that they're in. Um, so that and some academic issues, having half of his education also in a foreign language ultimately proved too taxing. And, and for his well-being, we made the decision to return him to the States this year. So yeah, if you're, but I would still tell any parents, if, if you have the chance to do a six month or a one year move abroad and you've got a 15 year old or a 13 year old, I would still say go for it. Um, I would certainly, knowing what I know now, have done a lot more to try and bolster my son's Spanish before we got here. Good tip. Yes. So I would definitely, you know, it ended up being fine for the younger one, but for a teen, I would really work harder to get their language up to speed. Or the other thing I've learned, which was kind of a big, huh. And that is not the way I was thinking before I came here. But one of the reasons why I was initially turned off by many of the larger international schools or say, you know, the American schools in Madrid or Barcelona um, is because they teach exclusively in English with Spanish as a second language an hour a day. I was like, well, that's not why I'm going to Spain. But my older son anyway might have thrived more in an environment where the default social language was English, you know, or a school that caters to many nationalities. Where he could sort of express himself in that phase when self-expression is sort of vital for their development. 
and connection, you know, that, that yeah. social connection. Yes. So maybe his Spanish wouldn't have gotten as far and ultimately it was only going to come so far along anyway uh, for him, but you know, he, it might've been balanced out by other things. So again, yeah, my biggest piece of advice to parents anyway is really thinking about your child and their individual needs and their personality and what, you know, that there's just a lot of trade-offs and, you know, most parents want to come here and like, we're going to go home and I want my kids bilingual. And that may not happen, but you have to just respect that there's still a bigger experience going on for your kid. Definitely. I, I do believe that that is super important, but even in my experience, my daughter started uh, German speaking kindergarten when she was three and it's technically bilingual, but it's mostly, especially in her group, mostly German speaking. And I was just hearing from everyone like, oh, she'll be completely fluent in six months. Yep. Kids just pick it up so fast. She's going to, you know, like mm-hmm. just snap your fingers and she's going to be totally <laughs> fluent in German. And that just did not happen. I would say it was a year and a half before she started speaking a little bit and two full years in kindergarten. Before Now she's a confident speaker. Mm-hmm. she's still not, I wouldn't say completely fluent as her peers, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think that's important for people to know too, that all kids are different. And especially I think extroverted kids struggle a little more because she could speak so well and communicate mm-hmm. so well in English that she didn't feel confident doing the same in German. So she just didn't. Yeah, that's a really, a really good point too. Um, and therefore, again, if you have choice, if you have some flexibility on where you're living, what kind of school setting you put your child in, it is worth weighing the pros and cons of what potentially, like not just language they're going to be exposed to through education and the greater community of the student body, but yeah, their ability to speak and a bunch of if you have children from six or eight different nationalities all trying to speak a local foreign language, then they all might be more willing to put themselves out on a limb than when you've got one, you know, native English speaker in a group of, you know, six or seven or eight native Spanish speakers, they're likely going to freeze up. That takes a pretty brave little soul, I think, to to jump in there. So. So you've all stretched yourselves. Personally, (laughs) how do you feel like this has changed your family unit? Well, dramatically. So for clarity for your listeners, because I know you know the story, but so after the second year here, because in service of meeting our our older son's emotional and academic needs, he and my husband are back in Jackson Hole this year. So we've lived, been living divided between the two continents, which we have absolutely no regrets that course it's been very hard but I think the space has been really good whereas some people could hear that story on the surface and be like whoa she moved to Spain for a year and then tore their family apart I would say quite the opposite it's been the case this experience has given each of us the chance to really kind of see what we're made of what we love what we don't like um, what we're good at where we have room to grow we're all really ready to reunite as a family. Hopefully the brothers will get along a little better now um, after a year of, of separation. But uh, 
I, I'm really, though I'm very, very sad to be leaving Spain and Sevilla because of the life I've established for myself here and my younger son too, now that it's hitting him, he's like, ah, oh, we're really leaving. But we are really ready to be reunited as a family. And I think we've just all evolved. We're all, you know, I can speak for myself and say like, there were so many challenges that I had put in front of me here from having a usher each of my children through emergency room visits and my husband got really sick and me being the only Spanish speaker and like, whoa, this is a lot on my shoulders. And now I can look back and be like, wow, I really did that. And it feels awesome. At the same time, I would say wholeheartedly that I'm not trying to put rose colored glasses on this, that even despite, you know, some of the real intense challenges my older son had and, you know, my younger son, he had his moments that he is far ahead maturity-wise, academically, and just cognitively, you know, in the sense of worldliness than he ever would have been if we had never done it. Um, So where it'll take our family in the course of the next few years, I don't know specifically, but I can certainly say it's changed all of our lives and I think put us on a different trajectory that I'm personally very excited about. That is exciting. (laughs) If you you could go back in time before you actually made the move when you were just sort of in the planning stages and give yourself some advice, I know you mentioned that you would do things a little differently with schooling. Is there Mm -hmm. any other advice you would give your two and a half, three years ago (laughs) self? Yeah, I would say in our case, maybe one of the biggest... issues that came up was that we made decisions really thinking this was only for one year. And that if I maybe had been being more honest with myself that I had been ready to leave Jackson Hole and was looking, you know, hankering for some bigger life shift, or that I was open to anything. As much as I love Sevilla and I love the friends here and I love the lifestyle I have here, if I was thinking it all in the long term, we might have made very different decisions. So I guess my advice to your listeners would be if you're saying you're going for one year, but who knows, then you have to stop and ask yourself, are the decisions you would make if you were on a one-year plan versus a three or a five or a long-term permanent plan, Mm -hmm. if those answers to your questions would be different, then you should at least write them down and make sure you're comparing that side by side. So in our case, if we really wanted a permanent move and we're making those decisions knowing that, some type of mountain town or even true coastal town with still like a sports-centric component to the lifestyle might have tied a few of the threads from our Jackson Hole life to our new Spanish or potentially elsewhere in Europe life if if we'd been paying attention to that. Right. Um, So you really got to think through at the same time. I think we as humans always, I I know for me, I can second guess, triple guess, you know, quadruple guess. And sometimes you just have to make decisions and go and, and just be really receptive to what happens. And you know that moving forward into your next move. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) being receptive to what happens. Don't leave uh, too much baggage behind, I guess, that you have to also go back and deal with. Exactly. Exactly. And for us too, you know, that was a big piece. Like I'm really, it was really nice 
to know that we still had our home there, mm-hmm. you know, even though we did rent it when we were all gone. But for us, there was a, a bit of a security blanket in that sense. So I don't know how it would have felt and maybe those especially really early tough times when we have difficulty finding an apartment and issues with the landlord and all the other stuff, you know, might've felt even more destabilizing, whatever the right word is there. If we'd had nothing, there was some sense of, all right, but we still have that back in the state. So if that's an option for people to kind of have your initial departure be a bit of a, an exploratory feature, you know, an exploratory journey, but you know, there's something to go back to that. If that's going to make you feel more secure then I would, I would keep that um, for just the sense of comfort. Good advice. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And what are you doing now to support others that are interested in pursuing their big dreams and making bold moves abroad? So based on the challenges that I had, and again, that just real difficulty finding the practical information that I, that I needed, I started a website um, about a year ago. I first put it live called familymoveabroad.com. I initially conceived it uh, with helping people just sort through that non-lucrative visa process. Again, not trying to market myself as a visa specialist, but just in kind of dumbing down the steps involved and particularly for people new to the immigration game, there's just going to be a lot of terminology and, and logistics that you're not going to be familiar with and just kind of handholding that for people so that it takes them, you know, maybe two to three hours instead of 20 to 30. I've also provided support for people researching schools, uh, finding um, some sports programs, like people who want to come over and make sure that their kids are playing soccer or doing whatever sport that they're doing back at home and have that, that tie through. So I still do that. Um, and still interested in that, but I've also, as I continue to blog and really think about the human journey piece of our story here, I'm increasingly interested in this quality, more qualitative aspect of parenting outside your home country and the issues, you know, that, that come up um, that are unique to your expat life mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have if you were living at home and or managing those everyday milestones that you experience as a family unit and that children experience, but that have an added oomph behind them because you're in a foreign country, such as, for example, if your kid is dyslexic and needs a tutor, you need to, that in your native language. It can be hard depending on where you're living, how you navigate through that. If you need some psychotherapeutic support, how you also ideally want that in your native language. And, and again, so um, just kind of exploring that and, and really kind of digging more into this human journey component of what it means to, to step outside your own culture and your own country and, for yourself and for your kids and setting how that shifts your life path. Wonderful. I'm so glad you're putting that out there because I think there are people that are looking to have that conversation or to have all those different conversations and just haven't found the right person to connect with. So you putting yourself out there makes this dream more accessible to people. Well, thank you because that's really, uh, I appreciate that feedback and and your perception of that, because that's really what I love. It's certainly what I've loved about being a professional yoga teacher for the last seven or eight years, whatever that's been. 
supporting people to step outside their comfort zone, supporting people to stretch, um, both literally and metaphorically. So, um, and I, I really do believe in the dream. And I think I can say that from the bottom of my heart, even with all the challenges, the logistical, practical ones, as well as maybe some of those more emotional, personal family ones. And I still believe, especially in this modern day and age and, you know, like, step outside your comfort zone, expose yourself if only for a little bit to putting yourself in an environment where the world doesn't always function as you expect it to and see how you dance with that. See how you step into sync with that and, and find who you are um, and, and help your children understand that from a younger age. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Any other wisdom you wanted to add? <laughs> um, I think we, I think we covered it. Like I said, really do the soul searching before you do the internet searching is kind of where I come to it with your, your research. If you can kind of give yourself a bit of an inner compass first, kind of put down your big goals, sift them down into more micro components. And then also just be willing to potentially let it all fly, depending on what shows up. And if you get handed like an olive branch in one capacity or another, be willing to take it because uh, it's it's a big step. Even if you really you're only going for six months or a year, it's it's still a big journey. So, but, but go for it. I totally agree. I think it's really important to get clear, very clear. Do that soul mm-hmm. searching. Get clear about what you want and why you want it and why you need it, put it out there and then see what comes back. And if you can trust all of that, (laughs) magic can happen. Absolutely. So, Or you can just kill yourself on Google. (laughs) Okay. So as we discussed in the episode, two people Jackie knows of have recently struggled with getting the non-lucrative visa. Although that is the one Spanish visa I consistently see recommended in blogs for digital nomads interested in moving to Spain. So I'm going to make a call out there. If there is a Spanish lawyer or authority on the matter that would like to come on the podcast and school us all in Spanish visa options, I would love to have you. And if you are wanting to connect with a human that has made this bold move to Spain and can support your family, head over to my show notes where you can get the link to connect with Jackie. And like I always say, please remember to subscribe, rate and review, and pretty please remember to share this episode with any friends you have interested in family adventure or moving to Spain. And thank you for hanging out with me today. Until next time, keep dreaming those big dreams and scheming bold moves.